Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Lovett. And I'm Adisa Dumissi. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Good to be here, man. Live and in person. Live and in person. On today's show, Democrats win back George Santos's seat on Long Island. The House impeaches Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his role in a border crisis they refuse to solve. Joe Biden gets on TikTok and just in time for Valentine's Day. Never Trump heartthrob. Chris Christie stops by the show to play fuck, marry, kill with Trump, Biden, Ronald Reagan. Good luck with that. But first, in an eight-point victory that exceeded polling, showing a tighter race, Democrat Tom Suozzi beat Republican Mozzie Pillup in a special election to replace billionaire astronaut George Santos in New York's third district, my childhood district. And uh, Philip is an Ethiopian, like me. Yeah. Oh, really? Ethiopian Jew, I believe. Yeah, that's not me. But That's not you. Uh, (laughs) The race boiled down to a fight over immigration policy and abortion access, and Democrats are holding Suozzi up as an example of how to parry attacks over the migrant crisis. This felt like a tight race, and then it wasn't. What do you think went into the win here? Yeah, I uh, I think a couple things. First, candidates matter. Philip, God bless my Ethiopian sister, but not a particularly good candidate. Spent the whole race running away from the press. Swazi, a former congressman, a former candidate for governor, former county exec. In a short, compressed special election, it's actually hard to rebrand folks. And he was a good candidate for the for the for the race. I think the other thing is campaigns actually can make a difference. Like if this race had been the day that Santos was expelled, uh, I'm not sure it would have been a, as big of a of a gap. But, you know, Democrats poured a lot of time, energy, money into this seven million by HMP House Majority Pack, four million I saw this morning from the DCCC door knocking from unions and LCV and other partners. And so, you know, you put a good candidate together with an actual campaign that's communicating with voters and suddenly you can move the numbers on the margins and get what, you know, six, seven points is like a blowout in a competitive House district. Yeah, I want want to spend time on what they did right. But I want to talk for a second just about what the Republican did wrong, because there was a lot of criticism that they, they weren't going to events, they weren't answering questions. But one of the challenges they were trying to avoid abortion-related questions. And, you know, we went through a midterm in which Democrats weren't able to hold the House because we lost in places like New York and California where abortion didn't feel as salient. Has that changed as Republicans have embraced an abortion ban? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. I don't, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, now we are, what, two years almost removed from Dobbs. It is as salient an issue today as it was then. I think it's going to continue into the fall. I didn't think that was going to be the case, if I'm going to be honest, in the fall or summer of 2022. But but I think uh, continuing to hit Republicans over the head with, uh, with the abortion issue is going to be a strategy that House, Senate, presidential, every campaign takes going into the fall. It is still as salient as ever. And you got to do it both in paid media, earned media, you name it. It's top of the list and it's going to continue to be top of the list. And I think the, uh, you know, the D trip, the HMPs of the world, the campaign, Swazi himself did it and went on the offense, right? Like that's the other thing. You got to set the terms of the debate. If you're playing poker, you want to be the, you know, the guy going all in, not the guy, you know, put to a tough decision. And Democrats need to do more of that. I think the Swazi campaign did that pretty effectively. So let's talk about where Democrats did feel like they were a little bit on defense, which was on immigration. Swazi openly characterized the immigration uh, situation at the border as a crisis. He talked about migrants streaming across the border. Republicans attacked him for saying two years ago that he, quote, kicked ICE out of Nassau County. That's referring to immigration and customs enforcement. Here's a clip of an ad that Swazi ran in response. You've been hearing a lot of nonsense blaming Tom Swazi for the migrant problem. Really? 
As the left pushes to abolish ICE, here now is one of the few Democrats who voted to support this vital agency. ICE is an important government agency. They have an important job to do in this country, securing our border. I support strong border security. Tom Suozzi will work with both parties to close illegal immigration routes, but open paths to citizenship for those who follow the rules. And anything else you might hear is garbage. I'm Tom Suozzi, and I approve this message. It's a very Long Island. Very, it's very, it's very <laughs> Long Island. It's very Long Island. The accents, the accents, and what the the man on the street accents really just sort of like shove me into a locker, you know. Uh, so, uh, what do you, what did you, what was your take on his messaging around immigration? Yeah, look, I think it is a it is a tricky issue for Democrats. I don't think there's any doubt about it. It is. It remains to the top of the list of voter concerns, even in a place like New York that is pretty far away from the border. Yeah, uh, I would say um, whether you like it or not. And you know, campaigns are often we want to fight them in one place, but the voters tell us where they want the you know what they want campaigns to talk about. And I think it goes back to what I just said. Go on the offense. Say what you want to say before you're being put in a, in a position to to respond to what the other candidates have to say. And Swazi not only, you know, took a, I would say, more moderate position on immigration and paid communications, but he actually attacked Pillip for uh, you know, opposing the deal in Congress and basically doing uh, Trump's bidding in terms of killing what I think voters and all of us alike want to see, which is Congress actually to do something about this. So go on the offense, talk about it in the way you want to talk about it, because it's not like you're going to be able to avoid it. The voters are going to make you do it. And certainly the Republicans are going to make you do it. So say what you want to say instead of waiting. Yeah, I was also uh, a little bit surprised to see in that in the very limited real estate you have to 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 do any kind of message on immigration, there was still space. It was still important to include a positive pro-immigration message in there. There was still a case for making sure people can come if they follow the rules. What did, like there is still, I think there is. Yeah, uh, that's uh, where the voters yeah. are. Yeah. Right. Like the voters aren't aren't uh, I mean, maybe the mega Republican base is in one place. Right. But they're they're not a majority of the electorate. Democrats. Moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans, to the extent they exist in the electorate, if not in Congress, uh, independents—they want Congress to do something that is fair to the people who are here. They want to solve DACA. They want to certainly tighten up border security. There's room for a deal. The Congress is apparently trying to make a deal, right? Which is crazy. You got 70 senators voting for a deal uh, a couple of days ago on this. It's it's really the MAGA base that is, you know, that is pulling the Republicans to the right. And we have to take advantage of that by kind of seizing that middle. So Democrats outperform the polling. We've done well in these off cycle elections. It seems like there's been a kind of flip in the script where Democrats now do better in some of these low turnout elections. At the same time, uh, it does give us some glimmer of hope for our ability to win in some of these close New York districts. New York Forest currently held by Republican. He won by four percent. The 17th. Uh, Lawler won by 0.64%. Uh, that's where Mondaire is running. The 18th, 0.3%. Uh, the 22nd, uh, 0.98%. The 19th, 1.6%. So there's a ton of really, really yeah. close races here. How much of a lesson can you learn from what just happened? Well, I will say, and I would have said this if if the Republicans had won uh, on Tuesday as well, you can't read too much into a special election. Like we all have to just take a breath, right? It's February. There was a snowstorm on Long Island. Like who knows what's going to be happening in, uh, happening in November. With that said, I do think it shows, like I said, you know, to start, campaigns matter. Candidate quality matters. We saw this in 2022, right? If the, if the Republicans in all these primaries nominate right-wing lunatics, it creates a lot of space for us. And I think they're going to. It creates a lot of space for us uh, uh, on the left and Democrats to to win these elections, right? And uh, uh, Swazi obviously took took advantage of that. I think you're going to see that in New York. You're going to see that in California. 
you know, we can basically, not basically, we can take back the House basically just winning California and New York uh, Republican-held swing districts. So it's interesting because that's a map that's totally divorced from the Senate map and from the presidential map, but it's um, it's where this thing I think is going to be won or lost and the House might be our, you know, best chance to pick up uh, a chamber. And uh, so let's talk about what's actually happening in the House where Republicans, I don't think, are really helping themselves. <laughs> uh, last night, Republicans uh, succeeded in impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, allegedly for not following uh, the country's immigration laws. The resolution passed by a single vote after Majority Leader Steve Scalise arrived back at the Capitol from cancer treatment. Mayorkas becomes the first cabinet official to be impeached since 1876, the Mutton Chops era. <laughs> uh, it's a joke. It would need two thirds, obviously, uh, in the Senate, which is controlled by Democrats. Yeah, they're not gonna De- yeah, Democrats in the Senate are just figuring how quickly they can get rid of this thing. Only three Republicans voted no: Mike Gallagher, Ken Buck, Tom McClintock. Gallagher isn't running again. Now, at the same time, just to underscore the politics here. A blueprint poll found that when voters are presented with a generic ballot, Democrats lead by three points. But when presented with a Democrat who supports the bipartisan border deal, versus a Republican who supports impeaching Mayorkas, the Democrat leads by 13 points. Why were only three Republicans able to vote in a way that is just good politics? politics? Yeah, they are terrified of Donald Trump. The answer is they are terrified of Donald Trump. And I think when we were in San Jose, the last time I was yeah. on the show, I said this, the Republican party is the party of Donald Trump and MAGA now. It just is. If 214 Republicans are gonna vote to for a political stunt that they know has no future and is frankly a a terrible precedent for the United States, just because basically Donald Trump told them to do it. That's where we are, right? The the reason why Republicans won't vote for this is because they're scared that Donald Trump is going to bash them over the head. They're going to lose in a primary. They're going to have the MAGA base turn against them. They're more scared of that than what hopefully is going to happen in November, which is that they lose the general election against a Democrat. And obviously in some of these Republican districts, there's, you know, that's not a possibility, but these swing district Republicans who are voting to impeach Mayorkas, they're putting themselves in danger, but they're showing that they're wholly owned subsidiaries of Donald Trump. Is this in any way like a, a sop to the base, to Trump, because they know that as bad as the politics on Mayorkas are, the politics on impeaching Biden would be that much worse? Yeah, I think it is a bit of a cop out on the Biden impeachment stuff, which, um, you know, it's like, OK, well, you. I want steak for dinner, but instead I'll get, you know, Beyond Meat or something, with all due respect to the vegans out there mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or vegetarians. But but yeah, I think it's a it's a cop out. Right. But it also it I don't think it's going to play well. Right. It's not going to play well uh, with with swing voters who understand that impeachment is for is something you use for extraordinary circumstances. And this is a policy disagreement. Yeah, right. Sure. You might disagree with uh, with somebody, but you don't impeach them because you think they're running bad policy. You impeach them for high crimes and misdemeanors. And um I voters are smarter than we give them credit for uh, oftentimes, I think all the time. And uh, these folks are, you know, again, they're more scared of they're more scared of the right base than they are of losing in a general election. That should play to our benefit in November. So it's very hard to change, I think, a a long held perception, one of which is Republicans are just tougher on the border Mm -hmm. and Democrats aren't. That's what we see in polls. When people are concerned about the borders, they support Republican policies over Democratic policies. They they are more likely to trust a Republican over a Democrat. Is their bumbling in the last couple of weeks bad enough to change that dynamic or it will or will it can it turn an advantage into a disadvantage or is it only bad enough to mute an advantage? That's a really good question. I think I think playing to a draw is probably 
it's good, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, an advantage is better. But playing to a draw on this is good. You know, Republicans have traditionally had an advantage on this issue, and I think they just lit that on fire with what they've done this week. Not just the Mayorkas thing, but the now the House not um, even taking up this border deal that the Senate passed in a massively bipartisan way. And so they are showing pretty clearly that they just want immigration as an issue. They yeah. want the issue. They don't want to solve it. And I actually think from a message perspective going forward for House candidates, for Senate candidates, for President Biden, that works with voters. Um, it worked in 2020 that Biden is the one who's actually going to bring people together, solve, um, you know, try to solve problems. He's proven that over the course of the last three years. And once again, 70 senators voted for something. That's a fucking miracle in 2024. Yeah. Um, and and yet, uh, you know, Matt Gates and his merry band of idiots and in the House are going to are going to stop something that majority of senators and majority of Americans agree with. Uh, it will hurt. I think it will hurt if we push that message as, uh, you know, publicly come come the fall campaign. Yeah. So Chris, Chris Murphy, I think, has a lot of righteous indignation right now, in part because he spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to figure out this border deal. And so the Senate passes a foreign aid bill that has uh, money for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, humanitarian assistance for Gaza. This is the version that strips out the border security deal that Murphy and Lankford made. It goes over to the House. Now, House Republicans said they won't vote for a Ukraine bill unless there's a border bill. Then Trump said, don't do that. I want the border chaos. They said, OK, we won't pass the border deal. They strip out the border deal. Now, Mike Johnson says, well, we no, can't we pass can't, the Ukraine bill without a border deal. <laughs> so House Republicans have now basically set up a situation where they've impeached Mayorkas over a crisis they will refuse to solve. There's a majority of Democrats and Republicans that would like to do, uh, that would like to vote for Ukraine aid, Israel aid, Taiwan aid. He has an even slimmer majority than ever before, right? He just lost. Just, yeah, one, he just one lost fewer as, as, of, right, as of Tuesday. As yeah. of Tuesday. George Santos just uh, posted minus one. The <laughs> next time he doesn't have a hope of filling a seat is in May when uh, McCarthy's McCarthy seat, seat could be filled up. by a Republican. What happens? Uh, <laughs> I, I, smarter minds than I are going to have to figure that out. I think. I think. Look, I've never been Speaker of the House. I, I don't want just, the which job. Is just, which is I, frankly I, a shame. Yeah, I know. It's, I, exactly. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to elect me next January, uh, mm -hmm. guys, you don't have to be. You don't, you don't have, have to be, be a, a member. member of the House. No, please elect Hakeem Jeffries. But um, I, you know, when you only have a four seat majority, two seat majority, I think as it is right now, um, or you can only lose two votes, mm -hmm. everybody matters, right? And that's the that's the problem that you know. If I'm giving Johnson the benefit of the doubt that he has to deal with, is that. Matt Gates and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene can torpedo literally anything that might come to the floor of the House. And um, they've, they've proven themselves uh, willing to do that. And so he's in a pickle. If this thing came to the floor, it would pass. Yeah. I truly believe that. It would lose some votes on the, on the left. It would lose some votes on the right. It would pass. It would pass in the middle. The question is, will he be willing to take the political hit, I think, from the right, he being Johnson, to bring it up? I don't know with a guy. I don't know if he's willing to do it. He, I think the honeymoon period might be over in the post-McCarthy era, era, and we might be stuck in this in this position where a majority of the House, a majority of the Senate, the president's willing to sign it, the majority of American people want to do it, and the Gateses and Taylor Greens of the world are stop us from having a real solution to a real problem. Yeah, I wonder too. It's the um, the fact that only three Republicans were able to buck voting for the impeachment does not bode well for like a discharge position, yeah. which would basically what that would mean is if there is a majority of people in the House that want to pass a uh, bipartisan aid bill for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, they can, if everyone signs a letter 
Democrats have all 213 Democrats have already signed that kind of a letter. A few would probably drop off because they don't believe in unconditional aid for Israel. But nonetheless, so you need a dozen or so Republicans to say, I'm willing to do this, but but none of them want to go first. Yeah, I think it's a it's a collective action problem. As always. <laughs> As always, right? It's you know, no one wants to be that first Republican. If you can get a group of whatever it, I can't do the math off the top of my head, but 12, 15, mm-hmm. whatever it'll be once you subtract the Democrats that would drop off, maybe. But I, I think the odds are low. I think it ultimately is going to be a Speaker Johnson question and whether or not he wants to govern or whether or not he wants to be a tool of Donald Trump. And I think I know where this thing is headed. It is it is just so galling that they would not like that. You, so so uh, there are Repu- Republicans sort of establishment foreign policy types that just want to do the Ukraine aid because they understand and believe in the importance of 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 supporting Ukraine in that war and that they have seen, they all say that in their kind of uh, closed door briefings that that Ukraine could lose and the consequences would be catastrophic. But they were also open and willing to do the border deal until Trump tried to squash it. Then because the border piece of it got killed, they did just the aid. And then Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, posts unbelievable that John Cornyn would stay up all night to defend other countries' borders, but not America. Uh, that's what Ken Paxton posts on uh, X. Now, Cornyn replies, <laughs> Ken, your criminal defense lawyers are calling to suggest you spend less time pushing Russian propaganda and more time defending longstanding felony charges against you in Houston, <laughs> as well as ongoing federal grand jury proceedings in San Antonio that will probably result in further criminal charges. Getting spicy in the Texas Republican I- Party. Who knew? I love it. Yeah, me too. I, I mean. love it. Ken Paxton is a fucking prick. Yeah, and he deserves it. He deserves it. Also, John Cornyn fucking deserves it because he <laughs> went along with stripping out the border yeah, deal that true. they demanded. So there you go. They're making misstep after misstep, I think. And it's putting them in a, to your original question here, they are giving up an issue that they had an advantage on. Um, yeah. And they're doing it in the most clumsy, dumb way possible. The question is, can we take advantage of it? <laughs> Politically speaking, right? Well, I think the first question is, can we actually pass something? Because I yeah. do think from a um, from a messaging perspective, it would be f- fantastic for Democrats to be able to go out there and say, we did something about this or we tried to do something about this. Good for Biden, good for Senate and House Democrats to do that. But in the event that what I think will happen happens, they have they have given us all the tools. They have given us yeah. the hammer. They have given us the nail. We just have to pound it, pound it in right here. And it's clear that there's a divide within their own party uh, between the sort of traditionalists and the the mega folks uh, on this particular issue. And we need to exploit it. Yeah, it's also you know, uh, uh, Washington Post found that every Ukraine aid vote has gotten at least seventy three percent support in the House. So every vote has been bipartisan. Why? Because when even though the Republican base and and actually the country is I think less behind foreign uh, military support in general than than I think Republicans, Democrats in Washington are. Regardless, a majority understands the stakes and that they're not just about pleasing Donald Trump or, or winning over the base, that there's a real conflict with real consequences, very dangerous, uh, that they all understand they have a role in supporting our ally. And the fact that we're in a place where Mike Johnson is basically boxed him in to the point where he can't do what 73% of the House thinks is essential for national security despite the politics. And I would guess wild. a majority or close to it of his own caucus, right? For sure. The, for sure. Obviously the majority of the Democratic caucus. Um, I mean, uh, the majority of the Republicans would absolutely vote for this if it was an anonymous vote. Oh, They may be afraid of their bait on, yeah, uh, d- unquestionably. Afraid of the base on the floor. Unquestionably. And yeah, it's... Uh, 
I mean, it's sad. It's a sad. It's a sad commentary on the Republican Party, but uh, and on the state of you know uh, of Congress, as it were. But um, but it's a political opportunity, right? And I I am a political practitioner. My yeah, my hey, what I think of that's exactly what, I, what you yeah, are. it's true. What I think of first is how do we use this to win the election so that we have more Democrats in Congress, so that Hakeem Jeffries is the Speaker, so Chuck Schumer stays the Senate Majority Leader, so Joe Biden stays the President, so we might actually you know. I would rather Hakeem Jeffries be sitting there making this decision than, than, uh, uh, than Mike Johnson. And we have that choice in, in nine months. Pod Save America is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Our friends at ZipRecruiter conducted a recent survey and found that the top hiring challenge employers face for 2024 is a lack of qualified candidates. But if you're an employer and need to hire, here's good news. ZipRecruiter has smart tools and features that help you find more qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash crooked. ZipRecruiter's tools and features help you find the best people for your roles. As soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology shows you candidates whose skills and experience match it. And you can use ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply feature to send top candidates a personalized invite to encourage them to respond to your job post. Let ZipRecruiter help you conquer the biggest hiring challenge, finding qualified candidates. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash crooked. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash crooked. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Pod Save America is brought to you by Indochino. Just because something is quick and convenient doesn't mean it has to be low quality. Indochino makes fully custom suit shirts and outerwear with hand-selected high-quality fabrics. And you don't even have to leave the house to get it. Measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom. Wear your suit right out of the box and save your measurement profile to make future orders fast. Create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly with endless customization options so you get the exact look you want. From buttons and vents to pockets and lapels, select your styles and they'll build it. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, and more designed and made for you. Hundreds of high-quality fabrics to choose from, like quality European wools, linen, and cotton in a wide range of colors and patterns, designed to look personalized to your style and taste without the luxury price tag. Love Indochino. I have a couple suits myself. I know you do. Sure do. And uh, I have to say they look great. You look good. You feel good. It's made to measure. Shows up fast. You can do all kinds of little bits of flair so it's not boring. If you like flair... That's it's. This is for you. Hey, are you a boring DC influencer who somehow got famous on TikTok or something? Indochino might Indochino. be perfect for you. Make quality convenient with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code CROOKED to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code CROOKED. Pod Save America is brought to you by Article. Article believes in delightful design for every home, and thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. Article's team of designers are all about finding the perfect balance between style, quality, and price. They're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and looks good doing it. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the U.S. and Canada. Plus, they won't leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time, and they'll send you updates every step of the way. Article's knowledgeable customer care team is there when you need them to make sure your experience is smooth and stress-free. We have Article Furniture right here in the office, and we have for a long time. Looks good. It's comfortable. Got here fast. Got here fast. Easy to assemble. Yeah. What's not to like? Nothing. Nothing's not to like. How about, how's that for a couple negatives? Right. Article's offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash crooked, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash crooked for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. 
So uh, speaking of, of crass political concerns, Trump is asserting <laughs> his control not just over the House, but over the Republican Party at large. In a statement on Monday night, Trump announced that he is endorsing his very talented daughter-in-law, Lara Trump, oh, to yeah. serve as RNC co-chair. Trump also endorsed his friend, uh, the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, and announced that one of his top campaign advisors will become the RNC's chief operating officer. Nikki Haley said she thinks Trump is trying to swing the election by taking over the party apparatus. Which is just, I, I can't believe she'd think that. Yeah. Let's, let's hear the clip. He's named who's going to be the new RNC chair. His daughter-in-law will be the co-chair. And he is making his campaign manager the, the officer that runs the party. Think about what's happening right now. Is that how you're going to try and take an election? I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yes, yes. Yes, the answer is yes. yes that's, uh, no, no, we like this. This is good. Uh, <laughs> Wow, Laura Trump. She must have. Um, she must have really wowed him in the interview. She, yeah, I mean, again, this is the guy who brought, put his daughter and son-in-law in the in the West Wing. So we can't really. I mean, this is at least down the street uh, a little bit. But yeah, I mean, do you expect any more from Donald Trump? No, right. The RNC by the time election day comes around is just going to be another account for him to pay his legal bills, uh, and that's what he sees. And uh, is this actually rigging the election? No, like this is a, it's another Trump evidence of trump just taking over the party literally right um yeah. putting his family member who's never been involved in republican politics in a position of considerable power um yeah he likes putting his name i mean his name was already all over this place he likes putting his name on the outside yeah it might he might just put like a big trump sign on the rnc building uh you know after he's the official nominee which would not be would be par for the course for the guy is there any actual practical implications of this so rana rana nay romney mcdaniel uh uh it looks like she's going to step down after South Carolina. Latest polls showed Trump beating Nikki Haley in South Carolina by I think, 35 points. He already is in control of the party, right? Is there anything that would change after this sort of this 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 exchange of uh, keys? No, I don't think so at all. Romney McDaniel was a tool of Trump, right. uh, certainly in 2020. It's just going to be a new tool <laughs> for Trump to use um, and a new bank account to pay his legal bills. Like I said before, like that is what the RNC will be come come the general election. And so it doesn't really matter. And let's be fair, like the nominee of the party should have control over who the, who the chair of the party is in the presidential cycle. Joe Biden helped put Jamie Harrison there. Right. Like it is what it is. So it, you know, the bad part here is it's just another evidence of nepotism and Trump treating politics like a family business and not like uh, you know, a government to help regular people, but it's not going to materially affect the election at all. And I think it's, you know, it's pretty standard politics to install your person at the, at the head of the, at the party. So, uh, before we let you go, there was, there was, uh, John and, and Tommy and I, we sort of talked a bit through the democratic freakout after this, her report that kind of made aspersions about Joe Biden and his age and his memory, uh, First of all, just sort of curious what you think the Biden campaign should be doing strategy wise to fight back against this this narrative here. Yeah, I think I think they're doing a lot of it now or they're starting to do a lot of it now that the campaign is switching into a new mode. Trump is the if he's not the actual presumptive nominee, everybody kind of knows yeah. he's going to be there. The campaign has been messaging that more and you you switch into general election mode. And that means putting the president out there. We've seen him go to North Carolina, sit down for uh, you know dinner with families, visit with folks who uh, had their student loans forgiven, et cetera, et cetera, and be in these environments where you can see him be president and be a presidential candidate in real time. I think that is what people want to see. Um, and you know he's up to the job. I believe he's up to the job, but voters need to believe it, right? And the way they believe it is by seeing him 
do the job uh, and do the job of campaigning as well, which we expect from a presidential candidate, even if he's the incumbent. So ultimately, the it's up to it's up to the president to perform. I have every confidence he will perform. Got to put him out there to perform. Um, and uh, we'll see more. And I think, obviously, we got the uh, State of the Union coming up next month. You got the convention after that. You've got nine months of a campaign in front of us. The more we see him, the more we'll understand. Sure, he might, you know, the number might be high in his age, but the question isn't actually just about the number. It's about fitness. Is yeah. he fit for the job? And he is fit for the job and he will prove it over the course of the campaign. Yeah, I mean, the other number that's high is the number of people who say that they have a very serious concern up to saying they believe he is not up to the job. And, you know, we can blame the media for this, whatever, but they're seeing something with their own eyes and coming to a conclusion. I sort of, I want to believe that that is surmountable, uh, that Biden being out there can address this issue. How will we know before November 6th that Joe Biden has successfully shown people that while they may not stop having a concern about age, that it is a surmountable concern compared to the insurmountable concerns about Donald Trump's chaos and fitness? Uh, I don't know how we'll know. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll know on November 6th when we see the yeah. votes come in, because I do think it is a it is a threshold issue in the election. But I don't but I guess my point is it is not an insurmountable one. Um, and actually the solution is pretty clear, which is show that you're up to the job. And he does that. You know, you think about the January 6th speech, the speech after October 7th, last year's State of the Union, which I think was, uh, you know, one of his best moments of his Absolutely. entire presidency and performance. The debates, obviously, in 2020, when the debates in 2020 in the primaries, when he was up, you know, and, and on his last legs and uh, uh, politically speaking and, and, and performed and took over the primary in a few days. So when the chips are down and where things look bad, Joe Biden tends to perform. Right. Yeah. And I think the question is, will he do it? Right. I uh, That's the. That's the political question right now. I believe he will, but we'll know when he does it, right? right? And there will be plenty of opportunities between, you know, February 14th and and November 6th for him to to show that to the American public. There will also be paid advertising. There will be an entire campaign, just thinking back to our original conversation about uh, New York 3 uh, and Swazi, like things change over the course of the campaign. Things, you know, uh, and nine months is an eternity, right? So there'll be advertising, there'll be things we can't expect, there'll be things we can't expect, and he will have to prove in the crucible of a campaign that he is up to the job. But I think he will do it, and I think we'll know it because he'll win the election. Are they, So they launched a TikTok during the Super Bowl. Yeah. Is that good? Is that helpful? Getting I think so. I think so. I think it's a tough one, right? I I think we also talked about this in San Jose with respect to Facebook and all the and X, even these platforms that are problematic in certain ways, right? TikTok in a different way from a national security perspective. But Democrats, I think we talk a lot about having message problem, which sure we do. Like there are things we could do better. There are things specific candidates can do better, et cetera. But I actually think we have more of a message delivery problem, <laughs> which is that the media environment is so fragmented now that it's just hard to reach people. And it used to be the nightly news and three old white guys given the whole countries, their political news and the, uh, you know, on- It should be three younger white guys It should be three younger white guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but- now it's just, it's fractured, right? It's really hard to get to people, young people in particular, but that it's true of older people as well. And I think using TikTok as a medium to communicate with people, using X, using Facebook, et cetera, it's just required. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, it's a required part of actually reaching people where they are. And if you are running for president and you're not there, you're missing an entire swath of people and where the conversation is happening. So they have to do it. And I think it's a smart thing to do. And I think they've done, from a content perspective, a good job. It'll get better 
I'm sure they'll have some cringe moments too. Like, I, listen, it is hey, what it is. I just it is, my official position is cringe is good. More cringe, do yeah. cringe. It's just get to people, man. Cringe. You gotta, you know, I'd rather people have, hear from the president than not, right? And and uh, hear from whatever right Pokemon go to the fucking polls. <laughs> but but no, I I the, my feeling about this is that, that of course he should be on TikTok and and uh, and of course they should be uh, I think trying to make content that is made for TikTok. But what I've been thinking about just the last couple of days, especially since this report came out, is one way I think people, one one, prob, one big challenge we have, right, is that there's this perception, reality, disconnect. And I, if I was being honest, what I would say is Joe Biden, by all accounts behind the scenes, he's not as energetic as he wants. He's an older man, but he is sharp. He is on top of these issues. And he has been, uh, uh, certainly on domestic policy, an extraordinary president. Even, you know, Kevin McCarthy says, you know, that, that Joe Biden, you know, is as sharp as a tack, even if he pretends otherwise in public. Uh, and yet, I think sometimes he seems older and he seems frail. Donald Trump, uh, felony indictment will sharpen the mind. He is energetic and uh, bombastic on stage, which uh, assuages people about his advanced age. Yet behind the scenes, he is mentally, psychologically, uh, uh, emotionally unfit to be president. And I, I, I wonder what you th- if there are ways in which the Biden campaign can show and not tell this story about the that beyond just giving energetic and good speeches, which I think you're right, January 6th the speech was excellent. The State of the Union was excellent. What can we do to show people Joe Biden as president uh, to make that argument rather than tell that argument? Yeah, I think, I mean, like I said, I think what they've been doing, particularly in social media spaces, is put him with real people. It's yeah. where he always has excelled. If you think back to even his 08 campaign, but certainly um, when he was when he was chosen as vice president and what they, what the Obama campaign did with him in 08 is they sent him out to, you know, where white folks are basically and let him be Joe. And uh, uh, he, you know, with all its its uh, its warts and its its pluses and minuses. And I think people still, I know this from research and I know this from my gut, still think Joe Biden is a good and decent man. He might be an older good and decent man, but he's a good and decent man who has the best interests of the country at heart. And reminding them of that by putting him, him in sort of positions where he can show it can overcome sort of the the reality that the, that he's older, four years older than he was, you know, four years ago. And so that is to me the, you know, that's the, the campaign strategy piece of this, right? You got to put him in, in a, a, positions to be himself <laughs> and show the best of himself. And um, that's what a campaign is. I'm going back to that. Like we have nine months to do that. And um, I think they will do that. I hope they will do that. And it will find its way to the voters. Then you have on top of that, you have to layer on advertising and other, you know, the other things that go into communicating a message and sort of mainlining it to people, the earned media, the paid media, et cetera. But ultimately it's about the president and his ability to, to show it. And you got to, you know, put him in places where he can show it. I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. Dizu, so good to see you. So good to see you too. A, good to be I'm here so in person. You. So yeah. smart. Uh, so helpful. I try. I try. Realistic, yet reassuring, but not too reassuring. It's hey, good. Got to keep it 100. We'll be right back uh, with my conversation with Governor Chris Christie, which was a good time on the whole. But before we get to that exciting pre-announcement announcement, our new tour dates for Pod Save America are about to be announced. Pre-sale tickets are only available through Friends of the Pod. So sign up now to snag the best seats. Go to crooked.com slash friends to join. If you haven't joined yet, please do it. Get in there. Join the community.
Pod Save America is brought to you by Beam. Are you having trouble sleeping or staying asleep? Have you tried other sleep supplements with no success? Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost energy, and improve your mood. Beam's Dream Powder, a science-backed, healthy hot cocoa for sleep. Now available in delicious flavors like chocolate, peanut butter, cinnamon, cocoa, and sea salt caramel with only 15 calories and zero grams of sugar. Beam Dream is easy to add to your nighttime routine. Just mix Dream into hot water or milk, froth, and enjoy before bed. And today, listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder. They're science-backed, healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. The numbers don't lie. In a clinical study, 93% of participants reported Dream helped them get better sleep. You drink Dream, you taste good. You fall asleep easy. It's delicious, too. What else do you need to know? Tastes good. I oh. like the chocolate peanut butter and the sea salt caramel. Mm, both good flavors. Really good. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash crooked and use code crooked to check out that shop, B-E-A-M.com slash crooked, and use code crooked for up to 40% off. Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The marketing people say that listening ads-free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen, listen to, two, to more podcasts. Exactly. Ah, two more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that more brain. More stuff and content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a foie gras <laughs> Become a member today. Go to crooked.com slash friends now to learn more. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now, he's the former governor of New Jersey and GOP presidential candidate and author of a newly released book, which I believe is called Reagan Good, Chris Christie. Welcome back to the pod. Uh, I'm, I was happy to be back, and it is not Reagan good. It is what oh. would Reagan do? Oh, what would Reagan do? Sorry. I'm yep. sorry. Uh, That's okay. Uh, so, and we'll get to it. And, and I'm going to, sure. I want to, I will ask you that question. So, so Laura Trump for co RNC chair, not the obvious choice, but she must have written uh, quite a cover letter. Will the Republican Party be safe with her at the helm? Well, I, I mean, She's not going to be at the helm. I mean, you know, her father-in-law will be at the helm and um, and he and his political team will be telling her what to do and then she'll do it. Um, so, you know, I don't I think she's uh, you know, if you look up um, figurehead in the dictionary, um, a, a new digital copy um, would probably have her picture next to it. Does it matter who's in charge of the Republican National Committee under Trump or is this just a kind of proof point of, of how much he's taken over the party. It's a proof point of how much he's taken over the party. I mean, when you can install your daughter-in-law as the co-chair of the Republican National Committee, I would say you pretty much have taken control. Uh, so 
Speaking of Republicans bowing to Trump, you were critical of Trump's NATO comments. John Bolton put out a statement saying to Republicans who have said something like this is just Trump talking like Trump, that he was in the room when Trump damn near withdrew from NATO. Marco Rubio, meanwhile, said he has zero concerns after Trump told a story encouraging Russia to do whatever the hell it wants to America's NATO allies. Does Rubio understand that president and vice president both can't come from Florida? (laughs) Yes, he does understand that. But look, this is typical of what everybody um, uh, on the Hill, just about everybody on the Hill is doing, um, which is, as Trump himself said, in talking about Tom Emmer, they all bend the knee. Um, And that's what Marco Rubio is doing. Look, I know Marco, and Marco is much smarter than that comment. And it it, it is just him um, being compliant. Why go on television? Why drive from your house to a studio on an issue that Marco Rubio used to care about, right, which was America's national security, American foreign policy, it was something, it was a, it was something that he talked about a lot as, as one of the reasons he should be president of the United States. Why drive across town to say something you don't believe on behalf of Donald Trump? Why not just stay home on Sunday? Mystery to me, I have to tell you the truth. I, 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 I see what some of these guys are doing and saying right now. And I will tell you this, the only thing that keeps me feeling even slightly okay is that they're all going to own it when this is over. And this is going to be over sometime soon. It'll either be over in November when Donald Trump loses the general election, or it'll be over in four years. Uh, But one way or the other, it's going to be over. And all of these things that people like Marco and Ted and Elise Stefanik and all these others are out there saying, they're going to have to own it. And it's going to be, I think, a very, very, rude awakening for all of them when, you know, people get out of the spell that they're under with Trump and realize what these folks were willing to sacrifice for their own personal ambition. So one Republican still taking on Trump in the primary is Nikki Haley. You were caught on a hot mic uh, when you were withdrawing from the race saying she'd get smoked. Uh, Have you talked to her since? And are you at all surprised by how much she's sharpened her message since then it, it it does seem that something changed. She doesn't sound like someone who's on their way to endorsing Trump, at least as much as she used to. Um, the only reason I think she did it is because it became personal. You know, she got sharp when Trump was personal about her husband. Uh, and it shouldn't have to take that for you to take on Donald Trump. But that being said, you know, the the, the spending numbers for through the end of January just came out in the past day or two, um, Nikki Haley's super PAC has spent a total, and they've spent over $130 million. They spent a total of $2 million on ads that attack or criticize Donald Trump. So what I'd urge you and the people who are listening to this is, don't give Nikki Haley credit because once he starts personally picking on her husband, she starts to get a little sharper at him Um, You judge people in politics by where they spend their money. And how about this? My super PAC, which has been shut down now for over a month, has still spent a million dollars more on negative ads against Donald Trump than Nikki Haley's has to date. And I had an eighth of the money that she has. So then then what's she doing? What, what, what's she running around running this campaign for? What's the goal? If she's, if she, if the ads aren't going after Trump, if you don't think it's going to work, what's the, what's the point? 2028. And I said that during the campaign, there's no way to 
explain that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley spent a combined $48 million attacking each other. And that small amount of pittance, uh, two, a couple million bucks attacking Donald Trump, except that they were trying to set each other up, themselves up, for 2028 and they didn't care about 2024. And if lightning struck and something happened to Trump and they happened to get it this time, that would have been fine by them. But if it didn't, they're trying to set themselves up for next time. So speaking of what could potentially happen to Trump on the legal front, Trump's lawyers are trying to delay his various criminal proceedings. He, uh, in a filing to the Supreme Court, uh, his lawyers said that a criminal trial would radically disrupt his ability to campaign. Jack Smith has till Tuesday to respond. At the same time, if the Supreme Court drags its feet on the immunity appeal, which I'm, I'm actually curious what you think of this immunity appeal, but but most think that it's sort of basically uh, frivolous, but they still have the ability to slow things down, to push a trial until after November. Are you concerned about that? Do you want to make sure voters have a verdict on whether or not their presidential candidate is a convicted federal felon uh, before casting a ballot? Well, first off, I'm not concerned that the Supreme Court will delay it. I mean, they acted very quickly on the ballot question. They didn't delay that. I think they'll act quickly on this too, and I don't believe that they'll take it uh, because I think that the circuit decision is pretty airtight. Um, I think it makes sense legally and logically. And the Supreme Court doesn't take circuit cases where they agree with the opinion and there's no conflict in any of the other circuits across the country. So I happen to think they're not going to take the case. And I think that in the end, that'll mean Trump will probably wind up being on trial sometime in May of this year. According to, I, I want to just sort of look outside of Trump for a second. According to Monmouth, a poll that was out today, nearly one in five Americans believe Taylor Swift is part of a covert government effort to reelect Joe Biden. Now, you've already spoken about this, but yeah. this is what I thought was interesting that came out today. Among that group, 83% are likely to vote for Trump and nearly three quarters believe Biden won 2020 by fraud. Like, obviously, Trump exacerbates an, a conspiratorial mindset among some Republicans, but he also reflects it. He reflects a conspiratorial mindset that was there before he came along. How, how do you see, how are you, how are you going to get the Republican Party to change if they still have these tinfoil hats on? How do you get them to take the tinfoil hats off? Well, I'd say, look, I, I do more than say he reflects it. He not only induces it, he gives it oxygen. Mm -hmm. Every day he gives it oxygen and he wants to because he knows that that's part of his base. Now, when you think about that, um, you know, the people who are convinced that the election was stolen and that uh, the tail, the ridiculous Taylor Swift stuff, um, you know, this, these are people who, who I think fall into three categories. Category number one is people who re really, really believe this stuff. I think that's the smallest of the cohorts. Then there's a group that that really despises Joe Biden and his policies, and they want to believe the election was stolen. That's probably the largest of the cohort. And then the third piece are the people who say, look, I know Trump's nuts, and, and I know that this, is, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to stick with him and support him in all these things because I really don't want the Democratic Party completely in charge. And, and I say that's the second largest cohort. And that's and they justify everything that way by saying, well, I agree more with his policies, even though he's somebody who wanted to take uh, the Constitution um, and, and burn it. Uh, and they, they're willing to walk away from that because they like his policy on taxes better. Um, 
you know, to me, um, as important as taxes are, that's they're not more important than the Constitution. So I know you've said, I mean, that actually I think goes goes to sort of the, this larger question. You know, you've said you won't vote for Trump and you said you're not prepared to vote for Joe Biden or you can't see yourself voting for Joe Biden because you have a lot of disagreements. You have concerns about his age. Um, your book is called What Would Reagan Do? Do you see more of a through line between Reagan's optimistic message and Joe Biden's message about America's fundamental decency than you do with Trump's message about how there's American carnage and America is, is corrupt, America is broken. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I, I don't think Ronald Reagan would, would recognize the Republican Party as it stands right now. And, and, and worse than not recognize it, he stood up against it. Remember, back in the mid-60s, early to mid-60s, the John Birch Society, which was, as you know, greatly racist and anti-Semitic, um, was a big force in the Republican Party. And Reagan was one of two people who publicly stood up against it. It was Reagan and William Buckley. And I write about that in the book. So I think not only would Ronald Reagan not recognize this group and would have more in common um, from an aspirational perspective with Joe Biden, but I think Ronald Reagan would have been like me on the campaign trail. He would have been campaigning against this because there were certain principles he was unwilling to abandon. And I think protection of the view of America as a shining city on a hill and an example for the rest of the world is one of those things Reagan would not have given into. So I'm not going to push you on on the vote question, although you, you'll blink twice if you're waiting for the convention. <laughs> so, uh, but but just because you're not willing, you, you have frustrations that a lot of voters have by this choice, by the way. That doesn't mean you don't have a preference. It doesn't mean you think the choice doesn't matter. Do you believe that the choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump matters? What I believe is that we don't know yet what the full choice will be. And, and I do think there will be, put Bobby Kennedy Jr. aside, who mm -hmm. I think is a joke, um, and probably won't wind up on the ballot in most states. Uh, but I do think the no labels effort is a real effort. I think they will get on the ballot in most, if not all the states. So part of the reason why I'm not making a decision yet, other than my decision to definitively never vote for Trump, is they might nominate somebody who I'd prefer to Joe Biden. Uh, so, for instance, if they nominated Joe Manchin, I would vote for Joe Manchin. Even if we are heading into an election in which polls are showing that that candidacy is not leading to a third party winning, but actually dividing the anti-Trump vote and potentially putting Trump back in the White House. Well, you know, I, I don't I, think that's what I think you care too much about this. I think you don't want Trump to win. I don't want Trump to win. And I would certainly that would be something I would evaluate as the time went on. I wouldn't be an early voter. Um, I, I would go on election day. Um, okay. so I had all the information I could, but I'm just telling you dispositionally, I think Joe, Joe Biden is not more qualified than Joe Manchin to be president of the United States, uh, in this term coming up. And so if it was somebody like Manchin, you know, Larry Hogan's now decided to take himself out and run for the United States Senate. Um, but if Larry had turned out to be the no labels candidate, I would have clearly voted for Larry Hogan um, over over Joe Biden or Donald Trump. So, but I understand what you're saying, and I'm not an impractical person. Okay. But let's really dig in deep, okay? 
given the way our elections work, my vote in New Jersey is not going to matter a lick because Joe Biden's going to win New Jersey. Um, no matter what happens, I think, unless there were a really strong third party candidate, um, that looked like they could win New Jersey. Otherwise, you know, Donald Trump lost New Jersey to Biden. I think it was by 22 points four years ago. I can't see him doing any better this time. So as a practical matter too, I'm not, I'm not using this as a way to get out of answering, but I'm just saying yeah. also, as I make this decision, I may decide come election day in November that it's more important for me to make a statement about how broken the two-party system is and how bad these two candidates are by voting for a Joe Manchin, for instance, um, because it won't matter in my state anyway for the practical reason you just talked about. Um, it's not an, it's not a popular vote system. It's an electoral system, right? So that's probably deeper than any of us ever wanted to get into determining well, my vote. But I'm just telling you the way I would think about it. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not obviously your vote in New Jersey, uh, you know, it's a it's a moral victory. But but I, your vote matters insofar as I, I agree with you about the threat Donald Trump poses. And that to me means I want people of good conscience to stand up and say, not just that I don't want to do say, support Trump, but I actually think even though I have reservations, even though I have very big policy differences, as Liz Cheney said, the country can survive policy differences. Not sure it can survive four more years of Trump. That despite that, I, that this this moment requires me to do something I don't find particularly tasteful, but is necessary to save the country. And I'm not telling you that I won't. I'm just telling you okay. I'm not there yet. You know, okay. I mean, the only thing that I have decided firmly is that I will not vote for Trump under any circumstances. But the rest of it, I'm leaving open until I see what all my choices are and how the landscape plays out. Because as we know, I suspect this is going to take like three or four different twists and turns uh, for both of these characters uh, between now and November. So let's see how it plays out. I really appreciate it in your speech dropping out of the race. Uh, you talked a lot about how the decision stays with you, that it was stubborn. So for all the people who have been in this race, who have put their own personal ambition ahead of what's right, they will ultimately have to answer the same questions that I had to answer after my decision in 2016. Those questions don't ever leave. In fact, they're really stubborn. They stay. How does the stubbornness of your realization around your previous endorsement of Trump, how does it affect how you think about your role in this election? It makes me believe that I have to be as outspoken as I've already been and continue to be. That even though I'm no longer a candidate, that was not a surrender of my principles. It was a surrender to the reality of the primary. And so I intend to be just as vocal, just as active in pointing out to Republicans and independents all over this country why he is not a fit option to be president. And I feel like I have an obligation to do that because in my heart, I believe it to be true. And in my head, knowing him as well and as long as I do, um, I know it's the truth. So uh, before we let you go, um, Obviously, I presented you with the big hypothetical, but I just want to understand your mindset on a few other rapid fire hypotheticals <laughs> on Biden versus Trump. Okay. Uh, just to see where your head's at. Sure. Who would you trust to water your plants if you're out of town, Trump or Biden? 
Trump. Oh, come on. To water I, your plants? Your I'm plants afraid, are fucking dead. I'm afraid Biden would forget. Oh, there. You know, I knew you were going to fucking do that. I was trying to get <laughs> yeah. Who would you trust to peacefully transfer power between administrations? Biden. Who would you trust to watch your stuff at Starbucks when you went to the bathroom? <laughs> They're both so bad. I would Come ask on. The, I would ask the barista That's to the watch barista. my stuff. All right. God. All right. And now look, this is a little Mormon and maybe it's, a, I don't mean it to be glib, but I okay. do just mean it about the men, which is who would you rather uh, give a eulogy if you were to die? Biden, because I've known him for 40 years and I think I can more honestly say the kind of things you'd like to say at someone's funeral about him than I could about Trump. Uh, final question. Uh, what are you doing for your wife for Valentine's Day? And you, it can't be buying flowers on your way home because uh, anyone married to you deserves so much more. <laughs> well, I'm already home, so I blew that. Oh, wow. Um, we, I have gotten her a card and written a, a note. Card. Her. Hold on now. Let me give the full answer. <laughs> We um, we made an agreement with each other this year at my wife's suggestion. Mm -hmm. She said, look, I don't know what I want to get you for Valentine's Day. I don't want to waste the time trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Can we please don't make me feel guilty, though, by going out and getting me something and then I'm going to have nothing for you. So let's not exchange gifts this this Valentine's Day. And I'm going to I'm going to stick with that. We're not going to exchange gifts. And by the way. I We've been married. For, by the way, we've been married for thirty-eight years. What kind of? We've been together kind of, for I, forty, and so we've exchanged probably thirty-seven or thirty-eight Valentine's Day gifts. So you, when you get to this stage, it's a little bit different. But if you read my what a card, trap you fell in. What a if, trap! But look, if you read my card, it would bring tears to your eyes. I was. I was <laughs> You'd weep. Um, all right. You'd weep. All right. All right. Uh, uh, the book is what would Reagan. The book is what would Reagan do, and apparently it's whatever you think you should do. Uh, and uh, it is not. Uh, I know you're. Look, I am. I I know you're not going to buy the book. So I'm not going to buy the book. I know you're not. So I am going to send you a signed copy of the book. Right. And I just yeah. want to know we have a book. All right. And I'm just saying, if you're hearing this and you're even considering buying Chris Christie's book and you haven't bought our book first, you can go fuck yourself. Oh, well, look, why can't they buy both? Oh, now I feel this. Now I feel the dirty. The stock now I feel market, dirty. the stock market is, 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 is at an all time high. Um, people, you know, are doing a little bit better. Why can't Thanks they go to and buy Joe both Biden's books? leadership? Thanks yeah, to well, Joe Biden's know. leadership and the, the the convention speech writes itself. I don't know about that. I might say it was because of the great work of the chairman oh, of the Fed. Fucking get out of here. <laughs> Governor Chris Christie, it sucks. This you sucks. love Cancel this. Show. You love this. Happy Valentine's Day to our to us both. And to both of us. Absolutely. Feel the love. <laughs> Adizu, thank you so much for being here. That was really great. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. I'll be back when you ask me to come back. Fantastic. If you want to get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and more, consider joining our Friends of the Pod subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. And if you're already doom scrolling, don't forget to follow us at Pod Save America on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for access to full episodes, bonus content, and more. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our show is produced by Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producers are Saul Rubin and Farah Safari. Kira Wakim is our senior producer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. 
Writing support by Hallie Kiefer. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGrote is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolls, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly Lobel. <laughs>